1: You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
0: Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Today is going to be another news episode. I wanted to get Victor on this time, but um, he's in no condition to speak right now. He he's managed to uh, you know hang out with the local soldiers in Ukraine, and I think he got uh, you know he a bit overdid with the local moonshine, <laughs> but it's fun. You know he's going to be back. He's uh, gathering valuable information for us. Meanwhile, quite a lot of things that I wanted to talk about today, including another letter about Middle East from Igor Girkin himself. He's still in prison, going to stay there until the 18th of December, at the very least, till my name's day, by the way. Um, that's a thing that we celebrate here, uh, at least here in Eastern Europe. But um, I want to talk about all the, ha- all the things that have happened, both in Avdiivka and in Berdyansk. First of all, I want to get to Berdyansk, and that includes attack Miss- missiles. See, on October 17th, Volodymyr Zelensky reported that the Ukrainian armed forces had launched these Atakms missiles for the first time. The United States provided, obviously. He said that, quote, our agreements with President Biden are being implemented. And they're being imp- implemented very accurately. The Atakms have proven themselves. And yeah, hours earlier, Wall Street Journal, had reported that, uh, you know, they, uh, they had secretly been sent to Ukraine, a small number of these missiles of the range of about 160 kilometers. Of course, Washington has not officially acknowledged the shipment, well, not until um, the point where I record this episode, and neither Zelensky nor the Washington, neither the Wall Street Journal, revealed what target Ukraine used the new weapons to strike. However, it was quite obvious, because this was this was when uh, the airfield in the occupied Berdyansk was, was struck, where Russia, by the way, used to store the attack helicopters that they have used to repel Kiev's offensive in southern Ukraine. Additionally, Russian and Ukrainian telegram channels posted photos, a lot of them, perpetually taken in Berdyansk, that show fragments of these missiles, while a video was over there that appears to show multiple fires at the airfield. But what exactly are these Atakums missiles, and why they make a big deal? See, these are a... uh, The Atakums is a long-range tactical ballistic missile they can be launched from the from our usual high Mars systems, or, well, M270 MLRS. Its range, <laughs> 150 to 300 kilometers, depending on the modification, is several times greater than the other missiles at Ukraine's disposal, such as the GMLRS and the M2, M26, which have a range of 90 kilometers, approximately. The Atakums also carries signif- significantly more powerful warheads, 450 kilograms or... Uh, Nine hundred and twenty-two pounds, what a weird number! And the GMLRS, which is only ninety kilograms. Obviously, when they're launched from these systems, they also are kind of hidden from the view. Uh, it's kind of the, the box looks like with traditional missiles, but it shoots, you know, these atticums. That again, not like Russia has managed to destroy any of these Mars before. So, but still, a bit of a, a bit of a security precaution. Ukraine's military, by the way, does have other long-range missiles, including. <laughs> including the English or French Storm Shadow or SCALP, same thing really, missiles, whose range and warhead capacity with the modifications of the ones provided to Ukraine are not vastly different from those of the Atacums. However, However, the Atacums has some substantial advantages. First of all, unlike Storm Shadow or SCALP missiles, the Atacums can be equipped with cluster warheads, which are very effective against large targets, such as airfields or, well, you know, groupings of troops and equipment and well, since Russian generals continue to pile them together, might provide very useful in the future. These HIMARS and MRLS launchers, which are conveniently used to launch Atakam's missiles, are quite difficult targets for enemy troops, because, well, they are, um, high mobility. And they have short preparation time for firing, and they can be quickly moved from their firing position. In contrast, the aircraft from which cruise missiles like Storm Shadow are fired are vulnerable both in the air and on the airfields. Throughout the entire war so far, there has not been a single verified case of HIMARS or MLRS being successfully targeted, so that's that's a bonus. Finally, Atakum's missile launches can be programmed and prepared in minutes. This allows them to hit even targets that may soon change locations, such as aircraft and helicopters on airfields or ships in harbors, the second one being very important. The target coordinates for storm shadow strikes, on the other hand, have to be programmed on the ground before the carrier aircraft takes off, and the entire process from planning a strike to hitting the target can take hours. Moreover, the carrier's departure from an airfield can be tracked by air defense systems, giving Russia some advance warning. As a result, Ukraine only uses storm shadow missiles to fight on stationary objects, such as ammunition depots and ships in dry docks. In addition, Atakim's missiles are about three times faster than cruise missiles, which makes it even easier for them to hit mobile targets. Other thing is that the they are extremely difficult to hit by anti-air defenses. Attacks are extremely safe against such tar- against such precautions as they fly with weird trajectories. And now we br- now we come to the well interesting part of this whole thing because a lot of these z channels they have been like paranoid about everything and not not just them including by the way Mr. Solovyov himself, the chief propagandist. Solovyov, by the way, he went on a whole triad about the situation. He went into panic mode about Arkan's, just as you know many other Z guys do. Solovyov stated that you know uh, Russia should provide every weapon possible to every enemy of the United States, so that you know United States would feel the burn, and that they they would feel that the ground itself is is you know trembling beneath the feet of the of the American soldiers and all that whatnot. He, by the way, which was recently posted, well, in two thousand and four, managed to state that uh, quote in uh, in one of the, in his official site, no less, that uh, if there's going to be a war in Israel, I will go there immediately. He posted about this because you know he's a he used to be called a Russian Zionist and a Jewish patriot back then. Well, now he's kind of happy about uh, Israel burning. Then he kind of shifted away, but you know. He has no morals anyways, at any rate yeah he he was yelling about all this situation, and this Atticum strike has taken russia by surprise by a huge surprise really, because a lot of them all these channels like Fighter Bomber, which is the most important uh, most important telegram channel when it comes to well airplanes and and uh, aerial aerial military activities, yeah, he's been doing crazy things about this he's been in a panic mode, and everyone's angry, apparently there are huge losses including equipment and manpower. <laughs> and, well, they are all very confused that nothing is being done. At the same time, Russia is now sort of doing a minor counteroffensive near Avdyevka as well, which is going horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. Russia is still doing all their meat assault, uh, meat assault offensives and losing insane amount of men. That is, well, like we spoke last time when Viktor was here, Well, that's good for Ukraine, however, in Ukraine, those soldiers, it's hard for them to participate in combat, really, which is pretty sad. But at least Russia is trying to pull off some victory. Vladimir Putin is, as per usual, utterly and 100% not informed about anything, and he's just, you know, mocking the fact that Ukraine is obviously losing if they need more equipment delivered to them. Well, of course, Ukraine needs more weaponry delivered to them, and that is kind of, you know. Weird. To be honest, I think that if, um, if the Western powers would have just delivered all the necessary equipment and arms and weapons to Ukraine at the beginning of the war, the war might as well be over at this point. But for now. For now it isn't. And at least I'm happy that slowly, but with some meaningful results, the Western world is getting, getting there with all the weapons deliveries that are necessary for Ukraine to beat back the Russian, Russian occupiers. And again, what's, what what's kind of bothers me the most is the fact that every time one of these bigger Z channels, like this time, you know, they have been punched in the head a couple of times since Girdkin's imprisonment, and we'll get to Girdkin. Don't worry about that. Since Girdkin's imprisonment, they have been smacked on the head and said, "No, no, you can't do this. You can't really, you can't really just say something bad about our our president or Shoigu or something like that." They don't want to repeat the well, what happened with Pergoshan. However, there are cases where this goes over the line, where they have to yell at, at about something, about how there's incompetence and how there's you know damage being done. And of course, they're angry about the Atakim stuff, but they're more worried about the Avdijevka thing, which is not moving at all, and how there's disorganization everywhere, and how there's massive conflicts between um, the officers and the troops. And they're even more... <laughs> Even more stupefied by the fact that no, well, turns out that against these missiles, yeah, you know, putting putting old tires on <laughs> on airplanes does not really help, and they're just panicking, and they're all they're all not 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 anymore. They're they're not criticizing Putin directly, but all the generals do get the heat. I'm starting to think that you know, as as they go more and more desperate. They still have some hope that the Russian government will change and that something will improve. Meanwhile, I do believe that that is quite much a false hope because, well, that incompetence is incurable or, well, as a lot of opposition journalists say, well, Russian bureaucracy simply cannot be taught anything. And it truly seems to be the case because currently, well, everyone's been looking at Israel. However... We have we have fun stuff. In uh, meanwhile, in Russia segment, before we get to Igor Gyrkin, <clears throat> see, Vladimir Putin, to kind of describe the whole situation that their leadership is in and everything, uh, yeah, Vladimir Putin decided to visit the city of Perm. And in connection with his visit, Perm residents had their garages welded shut. This uh, plopped up, I think, yesterday, where Perm residents found out that they could not get into their own garages. The doors were welded shut, and they were, like... P- paper slips attached to them for security reasons, and apparently it was not recommended to open them throughout the whole Russia, a sporting power forum where Putin flew in. According to the ProPerm channel, there are a lot of police patrols in the city center, traffic jams and road closures, and uh, well, there are people who, who have spotted uh, soldiers with uh, man pads even everywhere. Which is a bit crazy if you think about it, because Perm is uh, up there in the north, and well, they are just very much worried about the all all situation. But before we go to Gitkin, I'd like to, well, remind you that we have a Patreon. Very thankful to all of our Patreon supporters. That that's you're helping a lot. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash the Eastern Border. You can become our patron there. Please do. Please consider if you can. Or also if you um if you can't really, you know, afford a monthly subscription or something to by the way, get all of our shows b- b- without ads, then you can go to the Eastern theeasternborder.lv and, you know, listen to the show there. And also, I'd be very happy if some of you click the donate button, which would be extremely nice. We also have a Discord channel, which is very active, and uh, I'm actively, actively working on making it better. We're going, be, we're going to be watching more movies soon with our patrons. I think it's going to be the second part of the national peculiarities, this time the peculiarities of the national fishing, which is going to be great. But uh, all that monetization aside, since I really hate doing monetization, Igor who who's again sitting in prison until the 18th of December, decided to analyze the situation in the Middle East. So, obviously, to keep up with our tradition, I ought to bring you, well, whatever Igor Girkin has decided to do this time. So, here is what he wrote about analyzing the situation in the Middle East with reference to Russian realities. He also notes that he's being forced to be brief. Point one. GENERAL ASSESSMENT OF THE CURRENT SITUATION The conflict cannot be resolved through negotiations for two main reasons. Israel cannot swallow the consequences of the attack, as it will be seen both outside and inside, including in Israel itself and in the Palestinian Authority, as a critical weakness. This will lead to a soon repetition of the attack at a higher level. And this is already fraught, not even with losses, but with a threat to the existence of the state itself. Second reason closely related to the first one, is that the Israeli public will not accept any reconciliatory steps until it considers itself sufficiently avenged. Any government will literally be swept away if it even promises something like this. And the result, minimally acceptable to the Israeli public, can only be complete control over Gaza by direct military occupation, which is impossible without a long and very bloody ground operation involving large, tens of thousands of soldiers, contingents of ground forces. Here, Igor <laughs> is underestimating Israeli troops... Because he says tens and th- tens of thousands of soldiers. Meanwhile, Israel has hundreds of thousands of soldiers. Seeing that they had 160,000, uh, 160,000 people in active service, and then they also called up about 360,000. So you know, Gitkin's getting a bit shabby while he's sitting in the prison. Carrying gone because we are not huge fans of him. Except you know, we probably should start selling even more T-shirts with Gitkin on.
1: Burrow.com slash ACAST um.
0: Additionally, this operation will inevitably lead to huge casualties among the population of Gaza, both a result of direct fighting and in the densely populated urban areas, and to an even greater extent a humanitarian catastrophe, which in turn cannot leave the surrounding Arab and more broadly Muslim countries indifferent, whose public opinion will demand government intervention. Uh, yeah, uh, Ramzan Kadyrov already has apparently stated that, you know, you wanted to help Ukraine, now you got Israel. Uh, he is, of course, a raging anti-Semite, as, as is no surprise to any of us who has listened to this. That, you know, again, carrying on. In other words, once started, the conflict cannot fade away due to a multitude of closely intertwined objective and subjective factors. It will almost inevitably expand. The initiators of the attack, whoever they were, proudly understood and realized this perfectly well. Now, it is a large-scale conflict that is, quote unquote, ordered, as Gurdkin writes here, and initiated. And here, here he he goes into the madness. I mean, once he was like talking just about the the military situation there, as usual, you know, as as Gidekin does. Once he talks about military situation, he's reliable. He knows what he knows what's up. He knows his tactics. But then he decides to delve his little idiotic head into the world of global politics. So. Prepare for some extremely cringe-level statements in the following. This is going to be, wow, awful. Getting on. I believe that the initiators of the conflict are outside the region and probably not directly connected with any state authorities of the countries that will be involved in it. Objectively, a major war in the Middle East is beneficial to the globalist structures based in the United States, as it will continue the cause of the Arab Spring, bringing various unaffected states out of stability and plunging them into chaos, as well as restoring a high level of tension in those regions where, after the last crisis, there was a relative calm and economic and social recovery began. In addition, the war will inevitably deal the heaviest, however not fatal, blow to the European Union, provoking both large scale internal conflicts. I just don't know where exactly, and new waves of migration from the war-torn region. That could possibly be true, though. And uh, carrying on. The New World, primarily the United States and its globalist financial elites, which expect to remain an island of stability in the conditions of the shrinking of the golden billion, stands to gain. To what extent this will be possible is another question. And then he notes... I have serious doubts about it. In any case, the process of reformatting the world system has already started and it's unlikely to be stopped. I of course don't believe him because that's that's full conspiracy theory but then he at least goes back to some sort of evolution of the conflict and goes back to military terms here which he he deems point two. Scenario of conflicting conflict unfolding by stages. One Invasion of Gaza by Israeli ground forces that leads to humanitarian catastrophe that leads to a wave of indignation in all surrounding Arab countries, fraught with destabilization of the situation and the choice of governments of a number of states between two options of catastrophe. A. Entry into external war in one way or another, or B. Civil war within themselves. Proud candidates here are Syria, Jordan, and Egypt. 2. Entry into armed conflict by Hezbollah from the territory of Lebanon, possibly also the beginning or resumption of civil war in Lebanon itself. Resumption of civil war in Syria whose authorities at this stage will try to avoid participation in the conflict. 3. Israeli retaliatory strikes on Hezbollah in Lebanon and Syria drawing Syria into the war on the fact that though on the fact of these strikes growing military confrontation between the United States and Iran on the territory of Syria and Iraq likely to culminate in an exchange between of strikes between Israel and Iran. 4. Exchange of blows between the United States and Iran. The full rolling into war of the entire region. Turkish intervention in Syria. Possible military crash, clashes between Turkey and Iran in Transcaucasia. Five. Formation of a coalition led by the United States against Iraq. I, I think he means Iran here, but, you know, if he he wrote Iraq, but I truly, truly think that that's just a, you know, he's sitting in prison and not being very lucid, so I presume he meant Iran, but as he wrote Iraq... I should probably write because in the very next sentence he writes, Israel's nuclear strike against Iran is not excluded. I highly doubt that there's gonna be nukes involved, but you know, this is Girkin, and we all know how crazy that man can get. Six. Expansion of the war beyond the Middle East region. The realization of stages one to three seems almost inevitable. Stages four to six, their probability depends to a greater extent on the readiness of the United States to directly enter a military conflict with unpredictable global consequences. We are talking about the readiness of the United States elites to consolidately enter into extremely risky strategy of retaining the United States military, political and economic leadership under the slogan, if now, then never again. Here, however, he kind of forgets that Russia is in a very much worse situation, which is pretty horrendous on its own, to be honest. But again, drawing our attention to, well, the Ukrainian war, he writes, quote, Meanwhile, for Russia, avoiding participation in the conflict is absolutely necessary, even though sacrifices and losses of previously occupied prestigious, although completely useless and even harmful from the point of view of national interests, positions. This is the only way to avoid internal conflict and hope to win the war in Ukraine. Any participation in the conflict at any stage, at any point where it will unfold, is fraught not only with our local defeat, but also with a real world war, in which the chances of simply surviving are absent from the word go. In conclusion, we can state that breaking the seals that keep the Middle East from catastrophe is not beneficial to any major nation-state of the old world, and especially to the Russia-China-Iran coalition. Objectively, it is extremely dangerous even for the United States and simply murderous for the EU, since the chances of losing in it are extremely high and the possibility of gaining something is very minimal. Hence the involuntary appeal to the eschatological background of events and suspicions of a conspiracy reason for the launch of the long-standing tangle of conflicts. And yes, I don't believe in the failure of the intelligence agencies, Israel, USA, at all. In my personal opinion, we're looking at a carefully planned and executed provocation involving, among others, very influential structures, both of Israel and far beyond its borders. Now, now to analyze this, just just a bit. Not gonna give it too much, but uh, just a slight analysis here. You got Girkin, just like many other, others of his peers and in Russia and in all those you know, so-called patriotic circles, who are these Zed propagandists and all these folks, they simply cannot accept the fact that sometimes events happen just because they always need to have this bigger world conspiracy. It's because they in their own worldview, they are these, you know, justice fighters and warriors who are always standing for the little guy, and even though somehow Russia manages to be the little guy, but whatever, doesn't matter. They're a glorious empire, but still the little guy. Go- Look, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense, and I'm not gonna even pretend it does. Thing is, they need some conspiracies. They need something bigger, always happening, and they're looking at the world stage with extremely paranoid eyes, always looking, always breaking one of the most most important rules that you know you should you should never attribute to malice what could be attributed to stupidity, or just stupid mistakes. For for them, everyone's always pushing the levers, and you know, if uh, if someone would be pushing all the levers all the time, then I think we'd live in a better world, basically. But you know. Igor Girkin's observations about how this whole conflict would evolve. Now that does deserve a bit of attention here. But currently, what things to watch is well, if Viktor manages to get back from his, well, if he, I hope he doesn't get into any trouble. I want him on a show. Want to talk about this. Secondly, I really um, confused about how Iran will cooperate uh, with Russia in this situation, as they're kind of friendly-ish, but not really, and this could. This could get messy, and finally, I wonder how Russia will actually react to all the situation when um, Israel starts its own movement. By the way, Russia is just again. Mr. Putin is now he, he now decided to blame uh, in this forum uh, because of which you know as I was recording, I found out that because of which the, the garages were welded shut. Turns out that he has now condemned the anti doping agency and again you know calling for yet again more world conspiracies. Because it's always some sort of world conspiracy, instead of, say, taking some responsibility and, you know, admitting your own mistakes. That simply seems that is not even dealt in the cards, what Mr. Putin, he does not even consider such situations. We live in interesting times, uh, comrades. It's, uh, it's a bit of a mess everywhere, basically. And uh, that's it for today. We'll be keeping watch on everything, give you more updates, give you more news, and figure out how everything works.
1: elevate your style without the elevated price tag with quince go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns traffic jams tailgating pile-ups oh the joys of driving how could it get worse the federal government wants to have a say in what you drive that's right the biden administration's epa is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today